Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, good morning. Uh, I am Mark, and I did have fun rapping over there. I can't lie to you, but uh, I I humbly want to let you know that when Sarah said I'm a man of many talents, uh, something else I did this morning was set up that Christmas tree that isn't working. So uh, I thought I'd help the team out and, you know, lend a hand. And that's what you get when you ask me to help you with something. So uh, anyway, welcome uh, to those that are hanging out with us for the first time this morning. Uh, excited to be together and excited to be in this series this time of year. Uh, we get to uh, look at some of the accounts uh, from the Gospels, from books in the New Testament, and, and, and just really see the perspective that each one of them provides, kind of a, a different picture of, uh, of the story and the, the life and the ministry of Jesus and, and really uh, how he came to this world. And so uh, I'm excited for that. Sometimes when you, when you look at something, it's not that you're, you're seeing a different story, but just, just a different angle. And uh, it got me, got me thinking this week, uh, some people... Uh, Probably, probably see our family and us uh, and, and what we do, my family. Thing, like, like most families in America, I think that we, we don't really put the, uh, the things that you would call a dumpster fire on social media, right? When, uh, when something's going really bad, we don't, we don't put that up there. We just put the picture where we're all smiling in front of a Christmas tree and wearing Santa hats and looking happy. And so uh, in light of this series, in light of uh, talking about how we can be introduced to different perspectives of Jesus, I thought I would uh, tell you something that happened to our family this week that maybe wasn't the, the most together we've had it in a while. So one uh, one of the things that I get to do and blessed to do is get to do premarital counseling and weddings uh, for, for couples at, at Movement Church. And so one of those couples got married this week, a couple that I set up, humble brag. Uh, and so uh, wanted, wanted to be a part of that day, was thrilled to be a part of that day. Eric and Megley asked me to be part of that day. And so we did the rehearsal dinner. We did the wedding. It was a little earlier. And so we were downtown Friday night. So we had a babysitter. We even had a pre-babysitter. Our friend Cassidy is back from Haiti. And so she was at home holding down the fort. I can see her too. I should shout him out. He didn't have anything to do with this story. But uh, so Cassidy's at home holding down the fort for a few minutes so the babysitter could get there because it's very close to after school. And so uh, we, we, we throw everything in the car. We get the kids fed and not looking terrible. You know, we, we say, all right, we're, we're leaving. We're going to this wedding. We drive downtown and we, we get there and uh, we, we pull up on this random side street. There's no parking down there, but I find a spot by a meter and I'm pumped about that. And so I pull in, I jump out, got to grab the iPad and look like I've got my stuff together. And a few, few like car lengths up, the wedding party is taking pictures. You know, there's like 20 of them and the family's there and everybody's matching. They're looking great. And, and I, I jump around out of a minivan and I go to get my bag out of the, the back seat. And as I open the door, our cat, <laughs> yep, that's right. Our cat, Leonardo DiCaprio tries to, to bolt out of the van. And I was like, what is going on? And I like grab him, you know, and I shut the door and Kristen's like already out of the van and she's just like doing her hair, you know, and I was like, hey, I was like, honey, honey, you know, at this point, the wedding party has started to like walk down the street. They're going to go in the venue that we're parked in front of. And, and I'm like, we have a cat in our van and I know all these people and they're going to laugh at us. And so I was like, honey, what's the, you know, and she's like not looking. And so I'm like, get back in the van. You know, I like yell that over the van around both sides when you get back in. She's like, what? And I was like, the cat's in the van, right? And uh, the cat was all right in the van. And so she's like, what, what do we do? And I was like, I don't know. I'll leave it in the van. If you'll leave it in the van, I don't, you know, it's, it's not like it's 90. It's not going to bake. It's pretty comfortable in here, actually. He's, looks kind of curious. I think he would have a good time. And uh, just as we say that, I go to get out and he jumps up on my seat and he's like up on the steering wheel, right? And this whole wedding party is walking by and I'm like, get the cat, put it down at your feet, put it down at your feet, right? Just so that none of these people will see this cat. I'm like, we kind of need to look like we sort of have it together, right? And so she gets in and we're like, what do we do? She's like, should I go home? And I'm like, do you want to miss the wedding? It starts in like 26 
six minutes, right? You know, we've got this countdown going. And she's like, should I call Cassidy? And I was like, yeah, before Cassidy left for Haiti, she lived with our family. She knows we don't have it together. Just call her and tell her. She's got to bring the other car down. The cat's in the van and she's going to have to take it home, right? So that's what we did. We called and we just said, Cassidy, please come and save us. We accidentally brought our cat downtown and we need you to help us out. Now, I tell that story to give you perspective on our family and it may sound like I'm throwing my wife under the bus because, you know, we were talking about this and I said, how did, it's not my car. I was like, how did the cat get in the van? And she said, oh, it must have got in when you were not helping me carry those groceries in before we left. And I was like, oh, good, well played, honey, well played there, yeah, yeah. So she was carrying the groceries in alone and must have had to uh, leave the, the back door of the van up, and that's, that's what happened to our family. So I say all that to say that's a perspective of our family, that's a story that I didn't want to share with everyone a couple days ago, but I'm working through it, and that's, uh, that's some perspective. So uh, that, that'll make a little more sense later, I promise, but, but we want to jump into this passage. We are talking about different perspectives of the life and, and story of Jesus, and sometimes, uh, depending on what God we're reading, we may see an account that focuses on the reason that Jesus came. We, we may see an account, as we're going to read this morning in the book of Matthew, that talks more about the line and the family and the background of, of who Jesus was and the family that he came out of. So I want to invite you to turn uh, in your Bible as we get going today here in this, this series. Let me introduce you uh, to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1. It's on page 733, page 733, and we're going to be there. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one under your seat or behind you, in front of you. You'll see one on the floor there. We have those there because we want you to read along and study God's word with us, and we believe that it has power and things to to speak into your life. And if you don't have a copy of God's word or if you don't have a copy that reads as easily as that, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you today. That's that's our gift to you because we want you to have that and read that. But let's, uh, let's read here together. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1, this is the, the line and the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. It says, I'll read and you can, you can follow along, page 733. It says this. Now, don't get bored. This is, this is kind of some lineage stuff, but this is important, all right? And you'll recognize some of these names. It says this in verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Famous guys, you've heard of them, right? Verse 2 says this. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Again, getting into some people. If you've been hanging out, reading the Bible, or listening to Bible stories, you'll be recognizing these names. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the, mother, was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of... Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father 
of Abiad. Abiad was the father of Elikim. Elikim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. It's a lot of 14s, some some pretty good organization. It's almost like someone planned this, huh? All right, verse 18 says this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. Chapter 2 verse 1 says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Verse 13, chapter 2. After the wise men were gone and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were there two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. 
Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. That's the, the Christmas story. That's the account. Sometimes we read uh, ones from another book, ones that we're looking at in a few weeks, and they're, they're a little shorter, a little smaller, but that's, that's, uh, that's all of the information we're given. It goes clear back and t- goes through the line and goes through the lineage. It gives you some background. It gives you some, some context and lets you know that, that uh, contrary to popular belief, the wise men didn't show up like 30 minutes after Jesus was born, right? It was a couple years that they saw that star in the sky, and they were walking toward it, and they were searching for this king, this Messiah, but that's the story story of Jesus coming to this world. And many of us have have heard that story and we know that story, and yet there's a reason that that's given to us in God's word exactly as it's packaged and as it's written in the book of Matthew, because we're supposed to see the angle and the context and exactly what God wants us to know. And so I want to just point out a few things as we see that that lineage, that that story being told. It's amazing the the people that it it speaks of. These are are famous biblical characters, people who are are famous from the Old Testament, people who we know their stories and we've seen their example. But if we think back to that and we think, all right, this is the line, this is the plan, this is that 14 generation, 14 generation, 14 generation, this is the line of David, this is fulfilling all of those prophecies and all of those ways from the Old Testament to the New Testament, thousands of years that God showed us that he had a plan that he was going to redeem mankind and that he was controlling history. He was writing his story and he was saying, I'm in control and this is what I want to do for my people. This is how I'm going to show them love. This is how I'm going to send my son to the world. We see that plan unfolding. If I was going to write a plan like that and you were to say to me, how should, how should God's plan unfold? I would say, well, it, it should be perfect. Everything should be perfect. Every detail, every person, every event, every part of the timeline, everything that happens, every occurrence, it should be perfect like God because that's what God deserves and I think that's what, what he would want. And yet you look at this timeline and even though we know some great things about these people, we look up to them because of the Old Testament, think about some of these names that were in those generations leading up to the birth and arrival of Jesus. I mean, Jacob, for instance, is known for being a liar. That was kind of his, his legacy, right? That's, that's what this guy is known as in the line of Jesus. He's known for being a liar. He lied to his own father to get a blessing, right? I mean, this is, this is what's being built into this foundation. We, we heard the name Rahab mentioned, and some of you know that story. She was a prostitute. So we have a liar and a prostitute. You may have heard Ruth mentioned, and she was a, a broke young widow who had nowhere to go. And I don't mean to, to pick on her, but so far this story's not stacking up. And it's not how I would write it to say this is how the perfect arrival of Jesus would happen. I mean, even, even King David, who we'd probably have to say is maybe one of the most famous people of all time. He's, he's known people inside the church, people outside the church. People know David and Goliath, and they know King David, and he's a great man. And yet... 
it mentions this, this, this widow because David killed the, the husband when he slept with this, this woman. And so David is an adulterer and David is a murderer and, and he was known to, to have other wives. And, and so this is the foundation of this story. Solomon was in there, and I don't think Solomon was, was known as being a perfect person, and Manasseh was mentioned in there. He's just downright evil, right? If you were thinking about naming your kid Manasseh, don't. Uh, one, because it's really hard to spell, and two, because people will just hear the word evil, right? When you say, this is my child Manasseh, they'll be like, oh, evil, right? And you don't want your kids to go with those connotations. And so we've, we've, we've got people who are liars, people whose lives are down and out, people who are murderers, people who are evil. There's, there's good people in there. There's someone like Josiah. He's a great king. And, and, and yet when we get to the arrival of Jesus, we're looking at this woman named Mary and she's kind of a, an unknown. It's not like she was this up and coming biblical all-star and people were like, Mary, now there's someone you can trust, right? We've got her, her, her husband, Joseph. He's just a blue collar worker. And, and even in this, this story, Jesus is born in a barn, and so the buildup and the foundation of this lineage and this time frame and this story, there's nothing glamorous uh, about it. And, and if we're being honest, there's probably this stigma that Jesus was an illegitimate son, right? I mean, I, I don't know how many people back then were like, oh, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, that's where that baby came from. Okay, yeah. Right, And so people are probably looking at this marriage and looking at this partnership and they're thinking like at best, not even knowing all of the history or all of the line of David or maybe not putting it together, not having this written in front of them like we have. They're probably thinking this is a twisted line. This is a rocky life and, and this is a mess. And it doesn't appear to immediately get better because the birth and arrival of Jesus results in many people his age from his Region being killed, all of these, these young sons under a certain age, and so there's, there's turmoil, and there's, there's just junk going on, and he's born into a mess, and his life, has, has his, his lineage, his history, his family has kind of been a mess, and this picture doesn't fit the Christmas cards that we all send out, right? I mean, you don't, you don't send out your Christmas card and say, like, one of my kids knocked the other one's tooth out this year. Merry Christmas. They were having a fight. All right? You don't say, lost my job this year. It's not been the best year. You don't say, we had some of our biggest fights ever in our marriage. Or you don't say, I flunked a class uh, first semester. I'm going to have to take it in a year to, to graduate. Merry Christmas. Right? We don't, we don't say that stuff. And normal people don't tell you when they accidentally take a cat to a wedding downtown. But sometimes that's the picture that we see of, of families, right? We see that, that families aren't perfect and life isn't perfect and humans aren't perfect. And we're certainly not perfect. And I'm hoping that after church day, someone will tell me that they've also taken a cat to a wedding. If you haven't, just make it up to make me feel better, all right? Try to add details so it's believable. But this picture that we're given of the life and lineage and family and story of Jesus is not really picture perfect. And, and yet God doesn't wait to say, all right, I'm gonna have you guys get your act together and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna insert myself into this story and I'm gonna make things better. No, in fact, he wrote this story. This is history, his story, and it happened and it occurred exactly as he wanted it to occur. And God didn't wait till things and, and places and people were perfect to, to step into things. Jesus just came into this brokenness and he came all the way in. And Jesus came to us in our brokenness. 
That's probably the the main thing that I think that we can learn from this account and from this perspective and from this angle of the Christmas story is that Jesus came to us in our brokenness. There are so many people around the world when they think of the church and they think of Christians and they think of of faith and they think of getting their, their spiritual mind in order and really addressing that, they think, all right, I know that my life isn't perfect and so I'm gonna work on some things and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna address them and when I when I kind of feel like things are going a little better, I'll 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 talk to God then. I'll start going to, to church then. And, and we even think sometimes that it's our job to meet God halfway, right? Like we need, to, we need to just really just buck up and stop sinning so much and smile more. And when we take a step toward God, he'll take a step toward us and, and we'll, we'll meet him halfway and everything will be great because God helps those that help themselves, right? We've heard that and some of us tell people it's from the Bible and it must be true. And, and so if we take a step, he'll take a step. And so we can't be broken and we can't be imperfect because we have to, we have to meet him halfway. I want you to know that I, I don't know where we got that idea. I don't know where we thought that there was this magical time that we could, we could get it together. We could, we could stop sinning and we could say, hey, God, yeah, let's be more, let's be more like each other. And I'll take, a, I'll take a step toward you. and I'll, Yeah, and you'll take a step toward me and I'm doing my part and now I'm suddenly good enough. And we're flawed and we're sinful And we're broken people. And I'm not saying that to talk you into depression today because my guess is that you're very aware of how flawed and sinful and broken you are. Because I am joking about taking a cat to a wedding, but some of you are thinking that would be the best thing that's happened to my family this year. That's at least funny. My family's been riddled by by other things. My my family, there's this pattern of, of disease my family, there's a, there's a history of divorce. We have, we, have, we have parts of the family that haven't spoken in generations. I don't, I don't even know my own brother's phone number anymore because it's been so long. There, there are people in this room that would say, my family, my life, my story is really, really, really broken. And I want you to know that when, when we say that Jesus comes to us in our brokenness, he's not waiting on us to be 10% better or to at least get a little bit together. He comes to us completely broken, completely in need, completely at the end of ourselves and needing him. I think there's some, some things that we can see as Jesus steps into this story. We see Jesus coming in and and saying that he's, he's not threatened by dysfunctional, broken families. Whatever, whatever titles the world wants to put on you or whatever titles you've put on yourself, Jesus is not threatened by those things. This genealogy tells us that, that Jesus can use normal people because normal equals broken and broken equals normal and, and Jesus steps into our brokenness. He steps into our, our common and politically incorrect lives and our messed up lives, and he says, I'm here for you. And Mary's pregnancy before marriage says that, that Jesus uses people who don't fit social norms, and every story doesn't unfold perfectly and as we would want it to. Jesus steps into our messy lives, and he says, you don't have to clean up your life and be perfect before I arrive. How do we know? Because he was born 
in a scene in a manger in a barn that probably wasn't too glamorous. And he didn't say, hey, can we get some drop cloths down here before I come in? I'm kind of a big deal. I'm the son of God and this place isn't good enough for me. No, he just steps in to where things were in a broken world. Even Jesus' presence there as, as Herod took the lives of several children and, and killed many babies in that region says that Jesus is here for the hard stuff that happens in life. And yet we still think that this time of year Santa has a naughty and nice list and Jesus came to tear that up and say that doesn't matter because I know at the core all people are broken and they need me. Whether they always want to admit it or not, whether they're ready to talk about it, Following Jesus is not about fixing ourselves and then coming to him. It's about Jesus coming to us and saying, I see where you're at. I know where you're at. I love you where you're at. I gave my life knowing where you were. And I'm here because you're broken. So I want to just ask us the, this morning as we, as we kind of unfold this, this story, have you been trying to be good enough? Have you been trying to, to be good enough in and of yourself? Thinking that, that there, was a, there was something you could do or something you could achieve and then you'd be good enough that God could love you or then you could talk to him or then you could go back to church. Then you could be a spiritual person again. People always say things like that. I'm working on myself. And I don't mean to say that we don't have to work on ourselves. I don't mean to say that there's, there's not a, a point of pursuing holiness or that we shouldn't try to be more Christ-like. But sometimes we think that it depends on us and it doesn't depend on us. Have you been trying to be good enough? Or have you been making other people in your life feel that they need to be good enough? Sometimes if people that have been in the church or been a Christian for a while, they make people in their family or, or people at work think like, well, you've got to act a certain way around me because I'm up to this standard. I'm awesome. And none of us are up to any standard. We're all broken. And if Jesus is coming to people in their brokenness, we should be coming to people in their brokenness. You don't have to be good enough. Have you felt as though your, your life and your family are just too disastrous for God to work, for Jesus to show up? Have you let that situation or the things that have happened in your life, things that have happened in your career, things that have happened in relationships, have you let those things define you to the point that you don't think that Jesus can meet you anywhere? You don't think that you're good enough. You don't think that your family is good enough. You've let those things be projected on you. Have you stopped praying for your family and friends and caring about your family and friends because they need to fix themselves or because they're, they're too broken or too far for God to step in and work? He can, only, he can only do so much, people. I mean, do you know how screwed up my family is? Have you seen my family? He's not, he's not in that business. These people are lost. I'm telling you, they're lost. And yet this story tells us that at the beginning of the Bible, we were created in the image of God to know God. And we took ourselves out of relationship with him when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And when sin entered the world, we failed as humans to live up to the standard of a perfect and holy God. And so sin separates us from God. And, and scripture tells us that God didn't want us to be separated from him. God didn't want us to be distanced from him, to be broken. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into our brokenness, into this world. He arrived as a baby. He would live a perfect and sinless life, fully God, fully man. And so when he gave his life, he was giving his life as a sacrifice to pay the price for the sins of you and I that separate us from God. And by understanding who he is, by understanding what he's done, 
by saying, Jesus, you gave your life for me and I know that your life paid the price for my sins, we can say, I wanna live my life for you completely. I wanna live my life for you completely in the same way that you gave your life for me completely. That's what we can learn from this Christmas story. But scripture tells us that sometimes we're, we're walking away from God and we're chasing our own things and we're so lost in our brokenness or we've let our brokenness define us so much that we're just running in the wrong direction. And there's this, there's this term in scripture that's, that's called repenting. And repenting doesn't mean that suddenly you become perfect or suddenly you say, my family doesn't have problems anymore. I've never made a mistake. I'm awesome. It's just simply that you do an about face and you turn toward God. And it doesn't mean that you have to, to run and, and, and take all these steps right away and you have to be perfect and be one inch away from God and, and just conquer all these things and leave them behind. It just simply means that you have to turn and say, Jesus, I'm now walking toward you. You define my life, not my past, not my brokenness, not my mistakes, not my family, not the things I've done, not the ways that I've messed up. You define my life and I'm walking towards you. Scripture tells us pretty simply, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's all about who Jesus is and what he has done. And so our repentance is simply just turning from the things that we've let define us and saying, only you define me now, Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves because everything was accomplished by Jesus. And the thought that suddenly all of that junk and all of that sin and all of that stuff is gone is is kind of foreign to us defies our our way of thinking and yet this idea of trusting in another person's sacrifice is exactly what grace is saying that no matter what we do we're broken we're sinful we're lost and yet in Jesus we're whole we're made perfect and we're walking with him and walking toward him that's why Jesus came to this world that's why Jesus came into our lives and that's why this Christmas story gives us this perspective because Jesus steps in to our brokenness and steps all the way in and says I'm here for you I want you to know my love. I want you to know relationship with me. I want you to know hope. And I want you to be made whole. I want to ask you to bow your heads as we pray and as we, as we close up. As I prayed about this this week, I, I feel like there have to be people in this room who have let their brokenness define them and have decided that they can't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe there was a time they knew him and they feel like they've slipped up in that or walked away. If for the first time you're hearing that, that Jesus wants to step into your brokenness, that he came and gave his life, that he was sent by God to give his life for you, it's as simple as that verse said that we just have to confess with our mouth and believe with our heart. So if this morning, if you would say, I I don't want to be broken anymore, I want to be made whole, and I know that isn't up to me, it's up to Jesus, and I want to turn and repent and and face him and walk toward him, I want to start a relationship with him, I'd love to ask you to do something this morning. I don't want to freak you out or make you think that uh, that this is... uh, this is a crazy thing, but I think that this news, this good news, the gospel is, is life-changing. And I, I trust and I believe that there are people in this room that have, have never realized that, have never made that decision or feel like God's been working in their life and calling them. And so I want to just ask you this question. If, if for the first time today you would love to, to say, Jesus, I want to I live for you. I want to give my life to you. I want to give my brokenness to you. I want to be made whole. 
I want a relationship with you. I just ask that, that you could just be bold and, and slip your hand up. There's, there's no one looking around, but I would love to just see, see your hand and celebrate that with you if you would love to give your life to Jesus for the first time today. Amen. I'll give you a moment to, to think about that if there's anyone else who would love to just say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I want to be found in you. celebrate what God is doing and celebrate that God is writing each one of our stories. We want to walk alongside people in that relationship and so Sarah will be up in a second just to talk about some things that that we can do but we want to just take a moment and and celebrate and, and sing to God. Let's respond to his goodness that he meets us in our brokenness and not just part of the way. He comes all the way in and he says you're broken but I'm here and I want to fix you. I want to redeem this story. I want to make you whole. So let's celebrate that, let's sing, and let's respond. Jesus, thank you for coming to this world. Thank you for showing us that you use flawed, imperfect people and you step into their stories. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you that we can celebrate your arrival this season. It's in your name I pray, amen.